So if you have your Bible, it should be open. I should have opened mine. Uh, that's also another thing that you do if you're in this situation. Um, okay, it's open. I'm going to read, we're going to read this morning John chapter 16, the end of chapter 16, starting in verse 25. We're going to read through our passage, and then we're going to pray for our time in the Word together, and then Pastor Matt will come up and preach. So uh, John 16, we'll put it up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can look at the screen. Uh, John 16, 25 through 33. And this is Jesus speaking. <clears throat> I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I think one of the greatest challenges uh, of, as being a follower of Jesus Christ is the challenge to just simply care. It's a challenge because we're called to care about things that don't come very natural to us to care about. We're called to care about the things of God, to care about the things He cares about. And if we know anything about ourselves or we're truthful with ourselves, those aren't very natural to us. The other thing that makes this a challenge is, is that caring in and of itself brings about difficulties in our life. Uh, for one instance, I don't know how you guys felt uh, when you were in school, but for me, math class was the worst. And uh, that's not to say anything about, yeah, do I have amens? Are you guys tracking with me? Do you, can I get an amen? Yeah, um, math class was the worst. And that's nothing to say about math. Math was great. I love math. Math class. Not so much. And the reason was probably that I cared. But it, it, just to kind of like explain to you what I mean by that is math class basically was like every two or three days you were starting a new lesson. It almost felt like an entirely new subject. You walk in on the first day and your teacher would say, okay, today we're going to learn about fractions, for example, right? And so you sit down and they, she start, they start like, I don't know why I said she, but like I, all my math teachers were uh, women. But they, she'd say, you know, we're going to talk about fractions. And so she'd explain it, and you'd sit there and be like, I don't really get this. And she'd show you some examples and some things, and you're like, okay, this doesn't make sense. And the class would come to an end, and uh, you'd be sent home with homework, and you'd work on it that night. And you're sitting there the whole time, and you're like, I'm not quite getting this. Uh, but it was okay because it was just the first day that you were talking about fractions. So you'd go back in the next day and uh, you, you would get some more teaching and then you'd go over the homework and find out you had absolutely no idea what in the world it was you were doing last night. You basically wasted 
all of your time. And so uh, your teacher would go over everything again and try to explain a little bit more and then give you some more homework. And you'd go home that night, still not really making sense, all fuzzy, frustrated about it. You'd ask your parents for help. And then you'd have to sit there and listen to them as they talked about how like they've changed math and math is math and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you're like, man, I don't want to end up like you and, and jaded and everything. And, and so then you'd go back in the next morning and it still wouldn't make sense. You go over your homework, you got it all wrong again, and you're just like at the end of yourself. And then finally your teacher's like, okay, well, let me explain it to you this way. And a light bulb goes off and you're like, I get it. And then like you do a question and guess what? You got it right. And then you do another question and guess what? You got it right. And all of a sudden it's like all making sense and like everything's been put together and like a cloud is lifted and everything's sunny and shiny and all that stuff. And like you find yourself leaning over and explaining to the kids who don't get it yet, like how to do it and everything. And it's just like, this is the best. And you walk out of class that day and you're like, yes, I am on top of the world. And then you come back in the next day and you're like, let's do some fractions. And your teacher says, sit down. We're going to talk about improper fractions. And you're like, what in the world? Right? And you start back all over, and it's the same process again and again and again. And it's so frustrating because all you want to do, you're just waiting for that moment when you get it all. It all makes sense, and you can settle in, and you're like, yes, now we can actually do this stuff. And yet it never seems to really happen, does it? That's what math class felt like to me. Every day it was like, are we going to learn something new today that I'm just not going to get? And that's going to tear me up inside. I say all that because I think this is how the disciples have to feel here. The disciples have been walking around with Jesus. He's, he's been teaching them. And, and, and here we find ourselves at the very end of chapter 16, the very last words that Jesus says to his disciples in the Gospel of John before he's arrested, because chapter 17 is a prayer, and then he's arrested in chapter 18. And, the, and it's a discussion that actually began back in chapter 15. Chapter 15 with the passage that we looked at last week that Pastor Ed preached on about Jesus being the true vine and the fact that we must abide in him. And if we abide and we remain in him, we will bear fruit. And Jesus is saying, you have a purpose, you have a job to do, to bear fruit. So stay in me because it's a difficult one, it's a hard one, and apart from me, you can't do this thing. And then he goes on in the rest of 15 and what's in 16 before this passage, and he's talking to them about all the benefits, the reasons why they need to remain in him. He talks about how the world's going to hate them, so they need him. He talks about how, hey, he says this thing that just doesn't make sense to them uh, in chapter 15 where he says, I'm actually leaving, but it's a really good thing I'm leaving. Because I'm going to send another helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Doesn't make sense to them at the moment. I can't imagine they had any idea what he's talking about. But he's talking about all these things in this discussion. And there in verse 29 and 30, the disciples finally have that moment where they're like, ah, now we get it. Jesus says, I've been talking to you in figures of speech, but I'm going to talk to you plainly now. And the disciples are like, yes, it's that third day of math class. And they're like, yes, this makes sense. We get it now. It all fits together. This is awesome. They're like leaning over to the other disciples who haven't gotten it yet. And they're like trying to explain it to them and stuff and everything. And this is the best. They're like, okay, now we can go. Now we can do this. Jesus' response is a lot like our teachers. And then he says, no, I don't think you quite do. And he says, and the proof is in what you're about to do. 
Because you're about to, even though you think that you've got this all together, that your faith is complete, that you've figured it all out, that you know everything, what you're about to do actually proves you don't because you guys are going to abandon me. You're going to run off, you're going to scatter. And, and, and if everything was put together for you, maybe you wouldn't, but you're going to do that. And so Jesus tells them, he says, there's still another lesson you need to learn. You haven't reached the end of growing. And so let's talk about what else you need. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We read, read eight verses for you. We're going to talk about one together. It's the very last verse, the very last thing Jesus says to all of his disciples gathered together in the Gospel of John. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. One more time, because it's a pretty big idea. I've said these things, all these things, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is telling the disciples this isn't the end of the road. It's going to feel like it. This is going to feel like, to some degree, a graduation, or it's going to feel like a dead end to you. But whichever it is for you, just know this, more is to come. And he knows at this point they care. They, they have cared. We know through the Gospel of John, through the other Gospels at this point, there were other people who followed Jesus, who were with Jesus, and at different points, they left Jesus. Teachings were too hard. He asked things of them. They, he wanted to go places they didn't want to go. These 12 care. And so he says, I know you care. And just know this, what's in front of you will be hard. And so you will be tempted to respond and to respond in one of two extremes. Because Jesus knows them, and better yet, Jesus knows us. That as we seek to follow Christ, as we seek to do what he has set out before us to do, we're called to care. And he says, in caring about what I care about, you're going to be tempted to do that in one of two ways. And so let's talk about how both of those maybe aren't the healthiest ways to go about it. He says, first of all, we are tempted to obsess about it. And actually, what we're really doing when we obsess, as N.T. Wright says, all obsession is ultimately fear. And all fear is ultimately can be tied back to the fear of death. This thing that none of us want and none of us were intended for, if we believe what Scripture says, death is not a natural part of our world. It's not what we were meant for. Death being separation from God for eternity is not what we signed up for, not what he had in mind for us. And yet it is a reality of our lives, a possibility, and so we are afraid of it and we obsess over how not to die in all the ways that dying seems to us. Maybe that's why the most given command in all of Scripture by God, his angels, his prophets, is the command, do not be afraid. It says it over and over and over again, probably because it's the hardest command for us to obey. Fear is the air we breathe, it is the food we eat, the clothes we wear, the bed we sleep in. 
It is the one thing we cannot get away from. It's the one thing we don't want, and yet we don't know how to live without. Even from birth, fear is the thing that propels us. Fear is the thing that orients all of our actions. The moment you are born, fear grips you. You're warm, you're comfortable, and all of a sudden you're thrust into this new world where you're naked, you're cold, and you feel alone. And so what's the first thing you do? You fear, and so you cry out for help. And it doesn't stop there. As we get older, in our formative years, when we're around peer groups, we are afraid of being, not being accepted. And it doesn't stop when we're younger. Maybe we get a little bit better at hiding it as we get older, but it's really obvious when, you get, when kids get into school, right, that they're willing to orient their entire lives, their decisions, their choices about what they do, what they like, their hobbies, uh, how they dress, all these sorts of things, right, simply based on being accepted by people around them. Why? Because the greatest fear we have is death and isolation, and so we hope we can be accepted by other people. We are so good at fear, in fact, so good at obsessing over these things that N.T. Wright says that we are actually able to enter into a double fear is what he calls it. The idea of that is, is that as we think about things and we're afraid of things, we see both sides of the coin and we're afraid about both of them simultaneously. And so we see a job, our dream job being listed, and we, we wanna, we're, we're really afraid that we might miss out on that job if we don't apply for it. And yet at the same time, we're afraid that if we do go for it, we may not do it properly. We think about getting married, and and we dwell on that. We obsess over it, and we're worried about the fact that we may never get married, and yet at the same time, we're worried about what if we do marry someone and it turns into a disaster? So we don't know what to do. Or maybe we're thinking ahead towards retirement, retirement years and the things we would like to do. And one moment we're afraid of growing old, and the next moment we're afraid we may not grow old enough to get to retirement. Double fear. In fact, I think we find it impossible to live a life without the nagging sense that everything is about to fall apart. And so we obsess over it. This thing that we want, these things that we need in our lives... We seek them, we want them, we're afraid they'll never happen, and then once they do, it's not that we stop being afraid, it's not that we stop obsessing over our our obsession just takes a turn, and so we start obsessing about losing it now that we have it. There's never a point that if we're afraid we don't have enough money that we'll get to a point and say, well, now I've got enough money. Even if we get to that point where we're living comfortably, then our obsession turns and we're afraid that we'll lose the money. There's never a point that we get to if our obsession is that we want a certain family and it looks a certain way and our family gets there. It's not that we will stop obsessing over that point. It's that our obsession will turn and all of a sudden we're afraid that we might lose the family we've worked so hard to have. Do you see how this works? We care deeply. And so one way that we do that, one way that that works it out in our life is we obsess over it. We can't let it go. We can't let it just be. And if it doesn't turn out the way that we want it to, that we haven't envisioned, then somehow we are failures. And so we obsess and we fear over these things, and eventually we live our lives long enough this way 
we just have to admit at some point we're just overwhelmed. Our obsession, if left unchecked in our life, will overwhelm us. And that's what Christ is speaking to here this morning. He says, you can live your life this way. This may look to and may feel like to you caring. In fact, you hear that with a lot of people who fear and obsess over things, right? Well, I just care too much. Jesus says, you can say that, but it will overwhelm you. That's one extreme in our life. The other is, maybe we don't obsess about it. Maybe, in fact, we ignore it. And I know, let me just say this really quickly. I know this sounds a little counterintuitive because, right, if you ignore something, how in the world can you care about it? And yet I think if we care deeply enough about something, and yet it's not working out the way we would like it to, in fact, it's actually this really difficult thing, and we feel very frustrated about the fact that it's not progressing the way we would like it to, we we find it easier to, rather than obsess over it, simply ignore it. I don't know if you guys are in the housing market, but if you are, um, just know this. Instead of paying like $500,000 for a two-bedroom, half-bath place here in Oregon City, um, you can have a house for free in Jordan, Minnesota. There it is. Uh, This house, it's an old Victorian house, beautiful house, right, Um, is uh, free for whoever wants it. I'm not in real estate, just letting you know, public service announcement. Uh, you can have this house, but there's a catch. There's always a catch, right? There's a catch. You have to move it. It's not allowed to stay where it is. Uh, the house was about 20 years or so ago, uh, moved, by, moved to its current location by a lady who at the time was the mayor of the town. Uh, she plopped the house down in this, uh, on this lot, and as you can tell, it's situated pretty tightly between a hillside and the road. The funny thing about this lot that she put the house on is it's zoned for commercial use only. And so if you want to live in it, you can't. And the only way that they can use it for commercial use is if they add parking, and as you can tell, with a hill on one side and a street on another, there's not a lot of room for parking. And uh, so this lady moved it there, and she had these big ideas of how she would use it and everything, and it didn't work out. And so the house kind of fell into disrepair because it hasn't been used. It looks beautiful on the outside, but if you go on the inside, you'll find that not even the water or the electricity were ever hooked up in the place. This house is a picture of our lives. We start off with a great idea big idea, something beautiful, something amazing, like being a house. And we set off into it. We, we, we settled down in this place and we're like, this is, this is what it's going to be like. This is great. But as we get into, I don't know, something like maybe following Jesus, we find that there's a lot of details to it, important details. Better yet, really hard details. And sometimes they're difficult to bring about. Hooking up water to a place is pretty hard. Running the electricity there can be a challenge. And we work on it for a while, and we don't really seem to get where we want to go, and it's really frustrating, and we really want to do that, but it's not happening for us. And so we get to a place where we say, you know what? I'm just going to forget about this thing, and I'm going to work on the other stuff. And so we head down the next path, and we run into something, and it's difficult too, and we find that it's hard. And so we say, you know what, I'm just not going to deal with that either because it's just too uncomfortable for me to mess with. 
And so we start ignoring certain things. It's not that we don't care. We actually care greatly. It's just really hard for us because it's not working out the way we would like it to. We ignore these things. They become somewhat unhealthy. People can see it, but we're just like, you know what? Isn't like the thing that matters that I'm just a house? Like, right? I mean, I mean, electricity and water and, and, and that sort of thing. Like, uh, people didn't have that till like 100 years ago. People lived before without it. Isn't like the really important thing that I'm just a house? The problem is we do that long enough and it can leave us worthless to the point that people look at us and they say, hey, you can have this. You just got to be able to move it. We look at our lives and we say, isn't it the fact that I just believe in Jesus enough? Well, on one hand, yeah, it is. That's great. But he's called you for something more, and I think you know that. And so ignoring it isn't going to make it any better. We do one of these two things. We're, we're, we're all inclined to one of these extremes or the other. But the funny thing is, is that we will do both of them and not realize it. Uh, like, take me for example. I am a classic obsessor. Nine times out of ten, you give me something, I will obsess over it. And until it's done, until it's right. The worst thing is, is like not being a handyman and yet doing stuff around your house and being OCD about that stuff. Because you can't make it the way you want it to be. And so you sit there and you just obsess about it and you don't let it go. And like three years later, your wife's like, you need to let this go. I'm an obsessor. But I'll tell you what, there's one area in my life that I know for certain I ignore. And it's my car. I am not a car guy. I do not know a lot about cars. And quite, in fact, I am embarrassed about how little I know about cars. Uh, basically, the extent of my knowledge is I know the routine maintenance that I'm not doing, and that's embarrassing for me. Uh, just a few weeks ago, um, I had uh, our two oldest kids, and uh, our, our van needed uh, the oil change, and that's Hannah's car, and so it's her job, really, but she's kind of busy, I guess. I don't know. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this awesome thing. I'm going to take her. I'm going to change the oil. And so, like, I'm there at Valvoline and getting the oil changed. And I'm like, I'm dad of the year. I've got these two. Like, the guy, the oil changer, was like, you've got two kids in the backseat? I was like, yeah, it's kind of crazy. And so, of course, my daughter said she needed to go to the bathroom at the oil change place, which you never want to do that with a kid. Um, but the guy comes up to me, and he goes, I just want you to know your CV boot is leaking. I, he could have been making this up. I have never heard of a CV boot. And I am so embarrassed about how much I don't know about cars. I'm the guy that when they talk to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I thought that might be happening. I wasn't sure, you know, that sort of thing. And a, a, a classic obsessor would instantly Google that and be like, what is that? What is, it? you know, I just like, I shoot it off. I'm like, yeah, I have it under control. Me and my father-in-law are going to work on it this weekend. It's all good. And uh, so I go home, and I tell Hannah, I'm like, Hannah, they said something about, like, a CV boot leaking, and Hannah instantly Googles it. And she's like, oh, yeah, it says this, this, and it's, it says if it's wrong, it's doing these things, and it's not doing the worst things, so I think we're okay, but we need to have it checked out. Guess what? I haven't had it checked out yet because I ignore that thing. That is the way I cope with it. I care deeply. I want my cars to work. I want my cars, I want my cars to be safe for my family to ride in. I, I care about that quite a bit, but I'm so embarrassed. There's so many levels of guilt with me and cars and how little I know and how bad I am at it that I would rather just ignore that than actually deal with it. 
because it's me dealing with the pain of how deep I care about and how unable I am to actually make it happen. We either obsess or we ignore. And this is important because we have these things God has called us to care about. He has called us to care about the things that he cares about. He has called us to care about him. He has called us to care about other people and not what they think of us or if they would do what we want them to do, but he has called us to care about their life in him. He has called us to steward our time and our money. He has called us to care about the poor and the sick and the widows, the ones that society, and sometimes if we're truthful ourselves, we would just rather ignore. He has called us to witness to people who need to know the hope and the life of Jesus Christ. He has called us to seek his justice. And if we are left to ourselves, we either end up obsessing over it to the point that we fear it may never happen, or it simply becomes too painful for us and we say, you know what, that area of what God has called me to, I'm just going to ignore So what Jesus is telling the disciples here right at the very end as he is about to leave them is don't give in to those temptations to obsess or to ignore. Instead, what you need to do is to understand. Understand that you're in it, but it's not on you. Understand that it matters, but it's not up to you to make it happen. Jesus tells them, lays down in this one verse here. I love this verse because he's giving them reality. I love how Jesus, how God is is just always calls it like it is with us. And he gives them reality. He wants them to know the reality of what they're facing. But he also wants to talk about the reality of the situation they're in because it has another side to it. The first thing he says is you will have tribulation, right? Basically, he says you're going to have tough times. And this is something that Jesus has always has been constantly telling the disciples and the people that want to follow him, hey, things are going to get rough. And the, and the amazing thing about this is, is Jesus says this in relationship to following him, but couldn't we just say that as a fact of life? I, I like how so often when people, when we talk to people, we're afraid of telling people, hey, it's going to be hard following Jesus Christ because we're like, we don't want to scare him away and that sort of thing. We could just say, hey, life's going to be hard. You're going to face trials and tribulations in this life. And we'd be like, yeah, that's true. And people need to know that. We need to not sugarcoat it for them. But when we tell them it's going to be hard following Jesus, somehow that's different. Jesus says, whether or not you follow me, you're going to have tribulation. You will have hard times because you follow me. But you're going to have hard times regardless. So know this. This is the awesome point, he says. I have overcome the world. So if you're with me or you're not with me, you're going to have hard times. But if you're with me you get the idea and the knowledge and the satisfaction and the reality of I have overcome the world. And it's so important of what he doesn't say here. He does not say what we would often say. Jesus has overcome the world, so you can too. Because that is, quite frankly, the worst advice you could ever give to anybody. That is the most useless thing to ever be told. I'm a golfer. And if I was taking lessons from somebody and they told me, hey, I can drive it 300 yards and so can you, that would be the most useless thing anybody could ever tell me. It's a big deal to drive 300 yards. On a good day, I drive like 260. And so if somebody looked at me and said, I can drive 300 and so can you, I would be like, man, 
that's ridiculous because no, I can't. And the fact that you can makes it, my failure, that much more real and that much more painful. The fact that other people can do this and I can't stinks. Jesus says, I've overcome the world. He's done this thing, not you. And it's not like you can do this simply by imitating him. You can only do this, he says, by being in him. He's done this by living God's way. In Matthew 3.15, we get how, what Jesus lives his life oriented towards, what he lives it out of, what his goal is. He says there, as he comes to John the Baptist to be baptized, and John the Baptist is like, whoa, I cannot be baptizing you. You're like God. And so like me baptizing you is kind of ridiculous. Jesus says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And a way to understand righteousness is simply God's way. It's, this is right for us to fulfill God's way. That's how Jesus has lived. That's how Jesus has overcome the world. And what we're told is that in that moment, in that baptism, right, the Holy Spirit descends into the form of dove, rests on Jesus. And what we're led to understand, theologians will say, is it's in that moment that we're shown that it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus lives out and works out his ministry. And that's why it's so awesome. Earlier in chapter 15, when Jesus says, hey, I'm leaving, but by the way, guess who's coming? The Holy Spirit. He says, I have overcome the world through this power. And me in you, and you in me, I will continue to overcome the world. Jesus says you need to understand. You are in this thing. As followers of mine, my disciples, you are living this out. But it is not on you. It does not depend on you. The kingdom of God does not rest on your shoulders. It's on mine. And I have won. So stay in me, remain in me, and you will overcome through me. Jesus is telling us we need to focus on him. Stop looking and obsessing over the problem. Stop ignoring it and focus on him. Because what he wants for us, what we absolutely need is the thing he begins this verse with. What he wants us to have in this life is peace. He says, I've said these things to you, and whether he's talking about these last few verses or chapters, which are huge chapters, or he's talking about all of his ministry, it doesn't really matter. But he said, I've, had, I've said these things to you, all of this stuff, everything that I've done, everything that I've shown you, it's all led to a point that in me you may have peace. Something that we find hard to gain in this life. And I think when Jesus says, I, I, I've got peace for you, we look at our world, we look at our lives, and we're like, they don't feel very peaceful. But maybe that's because we're expecting something other than what God is offering when he talks about peace. We think of peace in our own Terms. We think of peace in relationship to war and that they are complete opposites. And so peace is without tribulation. Peace is without hardship. Peace is me sitting on a beach, drinking something cold, relaxing, not a care in the world. 
But that doesn't make sense when we start looking at Scripture and how peace is talked about and in what context. Like after Gideon has had his experience with God and, and God has talked about who he is and what he's going to do, we're told that Gideon builds an altar to God and called it, the Lord is peace. And then the very next verse, Gideon sets off and starts a war. Doesn't make much sense if we're looking for our type of peace. Or in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 17, we're Paul is talking to the Ephesian church about putting on the armor of God, and he says, you do this so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, done everything, still to stand. And a little bit later down, he says, fit your feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That doesn't sound like our peace, does it? It's because what Jesus is talking about and what he wants for us is not man's peace, but God's shalom. The actual literal Hebrew translation of Gideon's altar is Yahweh shalom. And what shalom is talking about is bigger than what we like to think of as peace. It's God's justice. It's his rightness. It's his way. It's what all creation is longing for. If you look at scripture and just summed it up, shalom is simply the presence of God filling everything. It's why in Jewish culture, when they greet one another, they greet each other with the blessing of shalom. That as they come together, they, they're, they're asking that God, the fullness of God will be with them there and fill that conversation and that they will be blessed by God's justice and his righteousness and his mercy and all these things that encapsulate who God is and what he brings. But then also when they're done with one another and they're saying their goodbyes, they also greet one another again with a blessing of shalom. And the idea is, is as you go and wherever you go, you take the fullness of God with you. That Jesus is telling us, he's asking for us, he wants for us nothing more, that in our life first we would have God's fullness, and then we would take it to the rest of the world. Daniel Strickland says that there are two aspects to have God's shalom, the way things are and the way things are meant to be in your life, and it's really simple. The first is, that you believe what God says about you and who you are. The second, that you believe what God says about who he is and what he's done. That we are his children and he is our loving father. That we are warriors and being called with Jesus Christ to accompany him on his mission to redeem the world and bring it back from sin. That we are loved, and he is the one that has given everything to love us. And the peace of Jesus enters our life in the moment that we start disagreeing with what the enemy says about us and God, and we start agreeing with what God says about those two things. One of the themes that runs throughout John is Jesus talking about the hour, the moment. 
It says earlier on in John, my hour has not yet come when the hour comes. Here in our passage today, twice he talks about the hour. The second time he says the hour is coming, it is here. The hour of Jesus leaving is the very moment when he says his disciples can have peace. He begins these two chapters talking about how he is the true vine and we must remain in him. And if we remain, we will bear fruit. But the thing is, bearing fruit is hard. It takes time. It's hard to know for quite a while if you're heading off in the right direction. Even harder when somebody comes along and pulls a corn cob off the stock before it's ready. And so at the very end of this, he says, there is something you can have now. There's something you can have in the moment. Peace. That you can know truly who you are, or what you've been called to, the great things expected of you, and you can also know truly who I am. And this is that moment. Because what you need in this life is that. You need it so that you may care deeply. That by knowing who you are and what has been done for you, you will know and care greatly about what God wants to do in your life and through your life. That you will not be able to rest because you know God's kingdom is not fully here yet. He wants you to care deeply because if you don't, you will lose hope and hopelessness leads to despair and despair leads to death. And he says, I have come that you may have life and have it to its fullest. I want you to care deeply, and my peace is how you do that. But it's also how you care deeply without being overwhelmed. Because when we look at our world and we care deeply about how it is not where God wants it to be, and yet it is overwhelming to us, and it seems so far away and that it will never get to that point, If we care deeply and yet are overwhelmed, the only thing then we have to offer is judgment. Because we know it's not right, and yet we don't think there's any way it will ever get to where it needs to be. And so the only thing we can do is judge. Jesus says, that's not what you've been called for. That is not what you've been promised. You are given the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that I have, the same spirit that I have healed others with, the same spirit I have spoken these truths through is in you. I have overcome. In me, you will overcome. And so you can look at the world and know it is not right. You can look at your life and know things are not necessarily the way they need to be. The water has not been hooked up. The electricity is not turned on. And yet instead of ignoring those things, instead of being overwhelmed by it and pushing it out of the way, you can say, I can transform. Judgment is all we have to offer in a world where transformation isn't possible. And Jesus Christ says, because I have overcome, transformation is always possible. And so don't lose heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world, and when you have my peace, you will care deeply about it. You will care deeply about those around you. And even when you are in the midst of the trials and the tribulations and the difficulties of what I have called you to do and to be, you will not be overwhelmed because I have overcome. And I am still transforming. 
I'm still transforming you, and I'm still transforming this world. We need the peace of Jesus, not our own peace, not what we imagine up, not what we hope for, but what he offers. It's peace in the midst of conflict. It's peace from moment to moment because we can have it now. If you're in a place this morning where there is something in your life, you just even look at the world and what we talked about with what's been going on in our world these last few weeks, and you just look at it and, and you're obsessing over it, you're afraid, you feel like there's just no hope less, know this, he has overcome the world, care deeply about it, do not give up on it, why? Because God loves it and you're called to love it too. But also, don't be overwhelmed by it because it's not on you, it's on him and he has overcome it.